Hey, what is going on? This is Jake with Exodus. On this week's episode of The Land Podcast, we have Jesse James Wildman from the state of New York here on the podcast. Jesse reached out and said he had an interesting story and journey with land, and he was not joking. You get to hear how he bought back a good chunk of his family's original farm. When he was one year old, his grandparents foreclosed on the farm, went up for auction, and since then he's went back and bought a good chunk of it. You get to hear the story of how he did it, how he prioritized his finances, his budget, and eventually ended up kind of wedging into some of these great deals and now owns a large tract of ground with multiple transactions under his belt. So you get to hear it from him here today. We hope you guys enjoy. As always, just a quick reminder, we have the resource sign up on the link tree. Just go in there, find it, click it, sign up, give your email, and we'll be shipping out some books from Pat Porter. Just want to say thank you for all the support. This project has been so much fun to connect with people like Jesse and everyone else here we've had on the podcast already. So just want to say thanks to everyone that has tuned in and everyone that has reached out to hop on the podcast. We have a lot of more great conversations down the pipeline, but let's just get right into this week's episode. Let's go. All right, we are live. I have Jesse Wildman with the middle name James, Jesse James Wildman from New York here uh, on the podcast. How's it going today, Jesse? It's good, you? Good, man. Good. So are you finishing up a day of work here? Yeah, just uh, wrapping up right now. Home, uh, actually in the truck. Gotcha. So uh, what do you do for work? Uh, I work in the highway construction industry. I do... Uh, quality control and project oversight on uh state funded projects mm-hmm. how how long have you been doing that um i just kind of restarted i think back four or five years ago uh i switched careers kind of a little bit there for two or three years after college and then i i came back to this like i said four or five years ago got it what uh, what year did you graduate college um, 2009. Okay. What'd you study in college? Uh, construction technology. I did two years and I got an associate's degree in it. Cool. Well, that, that makes sense. Uh, given what you do for work then. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a very broad program. So, I mean, it, it said construction, but a lot of it more pertained to like business management, a lot of like uh, economics, stuff like that. So it sounds like construction, but it was a very broad program. Mm-hmm. Which, which maybe isn't a bad thing. Uh, cause I, I assume you probably learned most of everything on the job actually. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, that, that makes sense. So you're from New York. What else could you tell us about yourself, Jesse? Yeah. Central New York. Um, born and raised, I guess here. Um, I don't know. Like to hunt, fish. That's about it. I have a family. Just got married a couple years ago. I have a one-year-old son that's uh, taking up the majority of my time right now. He just learned to walk, and he's talking up a storm. So right now, that that's about all I'm doing. Yeah, that's exciting. Sounds like a exciting part of life right now. A lot, a yeah. lot going on. How old are you then? If you if you graduated in '09, are you uh, early 30s? Yeah, I'm 31 right now. I'll be 32 at the end of this year. Solid. Very cool. Very cool. So we got in contact. You sent a message and it sounded like you had a very interesting story. And 
tell us a little bit about your, I guess, land history in your family, and then we'll dive into it uh, as far as you want to. Okay. Yeah. So my family, like I said, has always lived in New York. Uh, they had a family farm back before I was born. My dad was fifth generation. Uh, his dad had passed away kind of like when he was younger. So the farm was my grandfather's and grandmother's. They, when he passed away, it kind of ended the farming. Um, my grandmother still owned the land at the time. And as years went on, um, financial issues, stuff like that, she ended up losing the farm to a foreclosure right, right about the time I was born. So my mom and dad were living in an apartment at that time. And uh, yeah, the farm got foreclosed on and it got subdivided. It was a 350 acre farm that wow. was subdivided and uh auctioned off and living in new york a lot of uh the land they call it upstate i guess but a lot of land upstate is owned by people from new york city so this auction actually was listed in new york city area long island staten island that that vicinity so um yeah it all got auctioned off my parents at the time scrambled up as much money as they could and they bought the, the farmhouse and 10 acres um with all the barns and everything there mm -hmm. and the rest yeah was auctioned off to people from downstate so wow. they how, uh how far was that how far was that farm from new york city so people have an idea like out an hour two hours three four hours okay so it's a poke yeah i mean I, it's a long drive to everybody up here, but if you talk to people from the city, they, they drive hours in the city that long Island commute to the city is two hours. It seems like wow. everybody says, so it seems like they're all used to that drive down there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah. So that, that farm got subdivided, like I said, and it was parceled off into, I think like 10 or 12 lots, if I remember correctly. And yeah, my parents bought the farmhouse and 10 acres of field and we moved in there when I think I was like one or two at the time and grew up there. Wow. So it was the family farm. So that was the, your grandparents were the fourth generation on that farm and then it yeah. sold and then your folks bought the 10 acres and the house. So they were fifth generation fifth. and then you were Correct. sixth generation and you still grew up on the family farm then. Yeah. So I grew up on the family farm. Um, unfortunately I didn't have all the land yeah. to go with it, but, uh, being that like a kid there and it was a lot of like out of downstate people, they had camps or they'd come up with their campers and stuff like that. So I kind of, from like that 10 to like 16 year old range, I started like mowing their lawns and taking care of their lots for them like when they were gone during the mm -hmm. time so I kind of built a friendship with quite a few of them at the time and the one they had built a a nice camp on with a garage and they had tractors and equipment they were into deer hunting quite a bit so I kind of got after taking care of their lawns and stuff I was also 
one of my jobs was working on a farm. So I had a background in farming. Mm-hmm. So I ended up starting to do like all their food plots and uh, habitat work that they wanted done. Uh, and that kind of led me into buying a lot of my own equipment. So I started doing it for some of the other neighbors, but I really stayed close with just that one uh, group of people that had the the nice camp and stuff. And mm-hmm. later on down the years, that's where I actually made my first, first purchase was from them. Oh, really? So you were mowing their grass, helping take care of the farm. And then how did that go down? Did they eventually approach you or did you approach them or how did that look? Yeah. So they owned two lots at the time. They owned a, a 60 acre lot with the camp and they ended up buying another 80 acre lot next to it. So in 2016 they had some like people were getting older it was a father with three sons and mm-hmm. the father had passed a couple years prior and just uh family commitments they weren't coming up as much at, at that time so they they reached out to me uh with looking for people to purchase property i guess is what they were trying to do and mm-hmm. um my brother actually it's kind of strange story but my brother was just getting out of the military at the time he was serving in the air force so he was looking for a home to purchase and he ended up purchasing the 60 acres with a house on it Mm -hmm. and like i said it in theory it was a camp to them but it was a 17 1800 square foot new house full basement yeah so it was a house to most people but it was their their getaway house. And then my sister at the time was graduating from uh, Cornell University for animal science. So she was into uh, cows. She showed dairy cows and raised them and sold some on the side. And so she was looking for pasture ground for her cows. Mm-hmm. So me and my sister went in on halves on the 80 or on the 80 acres sorry yeah that's cool so man that's really cool so your siblings were able to kind of pull together and and scoop up 140 acres that was a that was originally part of the original family farm that's correct man that's so cool yeah that's that's really cool um so it worked out really good for me and my sister obviously my sister was into the farming side of it and I was into the hunting side of it. So we kind of pooled our resources together and had two different goals, but we could share the land to, I guess, achieve that goal. Yeah. still work together and obviously, you know, make that purchase much more manageable by dividing it by two and it's still your sibling. And man, that's, that's very exciting. So, and you purchased that in 2016. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Gotcha. So tell us a little bit more about, obviously, what factors went into to actually buying that parcel? Was it, was it the sentimental effect? Was it you would have bought that place anyway? Like, tell, tell people kind of what drove you to end up buying it. Well, so obviously, being an outdoorsman, everybody's, I think, goal is to own their own piece of ground at some point. And that was always a goal of mine. Um, growing up, knowing that my family had land and that I, it wasn't going to be ever passed on to me. It was already lost. Like 
I always wanted to be able to, if I had a family, pass on a chunk of land to, well, now I have a son, but to pass it on to my son and keep passing that down, hopefully from generation to generation. But yeah, it was just, uh, I, I'd never really planned on buying that chunk of land, I guess. I mean, I, I was saving money for mm-hmm. something. I wasn't sure what it was going to be, but when that, uh, deal came around and we could work out a agreement, it just, it kind of lined up and worked good for what I was looking for. Yeah. So tell us a little bit. So you knew you wanted to buy a piece. How long were you saving up to potentially buy something when the time was right? So in 2012, I think I have that right. Yeah. 2012, I was 22. I, uh, I bought my house. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I bought that and I had saved up. I had worked all through college and prior to college. So I had saved a lot of money up going into purchasing this house. So I was kind of ahead of the game already with a good down payment and all that. So I bought that house in 2012. And at the time I was, uh, trying to put down more on it and stuff like that. So I had a good chunk of that paid down. So when this came about in 2016, I actually was able to do a home equity Mm -hmm. line of credit Mm -hmm. or home equity loan. Uh, Yep. Um, Yep. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of how the financial side of it came about. And it worked out good too, because the previous owner, they wanted to sell it and he wasn't ready to, he wanted to buy, I think a house down South somewhere for a second house. Mm-hmm. So he, he didn't want to get, I, I believe it's capital gains. If, if we gave him all the money up front, if he didn't reinvest it right away, he wasn't quite ready to, he was hoping his kids were graduating from college in a couple of years. So he was thinking in two to three years, purchase a house down somewhere else. So it kind of worked out that with this home equity, I had enough for a down payment. And then he wanted to do a purchase money mortgage or owner financing for the rest to help spread out that payment until he was ready for uh, his next purchase, I guess. Yeah. So, okay. So you took a HELOC out with your equity in your home put a down yep. payment with cash to the sellers and then yep. they didn't want to lump sum of money and you decided to do a contract for deed. And how long was, how long was the, can you kind of break down the structure of the contract for deed or um, any other details just so people have an idea yeah. of another example? So the way that went about is basically for me, obviously it was me and my sister purchasing it. Uh, the home equity covered almost my half of the property. So the rest of it was more on her side, but Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was a 10 year agreement at a 4% interest rate. So we divided Mm -hmm. whatever that was. And we figured out the payment between me and her of what my portion was in hers. And yeah, it was, like I said, a 10 year deal, 4% interest. And there is I don't know the exact differences, but when people get talking about this stuff, there is a difference between a purchase money mortgage and a land contract. So that's just something if you are looking into doing like an owner financing, like 
there are some pros and cons to both. So definitely do your research. Yeah. And, and, and consult a good attorney and a good, uh, a, a good attorney, a good accountant and a good attorney for sure uh, to look that yeah. over. And so I know we were talking before we started recording, but uh, in New York, you have to have an attorney on the selling side and the buying side. In Illinois, you do not. What what advice do you have with that? Did you just go with your guys' family attorney or did you shop around or wh- what did that look like? Yeah, so obviously me and the previous owner, we came to an agreement on the price and the terms and everything like that. So once we had basically the plan set, I reached out to my attorney that I used to purchase my house um, four years prior. I talked to him and we sat down, me, my sister and him, and we went through the deal and he created a purchase agreement. And that purchase agreement was then forwarded to the owner's uh, attorney. And then in New York, yeah, attorneys need to be there to complete the deal so once that kind of starts they they kind of take the ball into their Mm -hmm. court and you're just waiting on a phone call for hey we need a check for closing Mm -hmm. yeah which which is some level of benefit for sure and i think regardless it's not a bad idea to have an attorney in your corner uh in some states if you don't need one obviously uh i it's your decision but if things get sideways, it's always good to have someone in your corner that's uh, more well more well versed in that area. And I think sometimes people may over rely on real estate agents because they can only help with what they're licensed for. They can't really give legal advice or anything else. So that's something I would just pass along to people listening. Yep, no, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as soon as when things are going good, great. But <laughs> when they get sideways, definitely good to have someone in your corner. So you were saving up or at least paying off your house early for four years. And then this came about. And then aside from the sentimental part, but what were some of the biggest factors of, of why you purchased it? Is it just because, you know, it checked out the boxes off for the hunting aspect and then you were able to split it with your sister and then your brother was able to buy the 60 and it all just kind of worked out. Yeah. I mean, definitely sentimental being uh, in the family for so long. And then, like I said, I really wasn't looking for, I'm always on the market looking through Zillow or MLS, like mm-hmm. at land. So I know the prices, but I, I wasn't talking to a real estate agent or anything. So I wasn't looking, looking hard at the time. But when this came up, I knew the property. I knew the neighbors. I knew what was going on. It, it was, like I said, at one point, my family farm. So it had all those check marks. And then with working uh, with my sister by myself at the time, there was no way I would have been able to purchase 80 acres alone. So um, going in halves with her and I guess something we didn't talk about is we created an agreement on what would happen if one of us passed away or if one of us wanted to get out and uh, buying the other one out. But mm-hmm. yeah, definitely it was just, it just was at the right place, right time. Um, I definitely think you can sit on the market too long looking and you miss a lot of opportunities. So I, I knew if something came up that just worked, I should just jump on it at that point. Yeah. And then you get to enjoy it. You're, you know, you're able to scratch that itch. You scooped it up in 2016. It's already been 
five years now since you bought it. Yeah. And I'm sure it's gone quick, but uh, I think you bring up a really good point in terms of having those kind of sunset agreements, if you will, of if one of you did decide to sell or, you know, like all these extremes that you don't really want to talk about, but you need to have something yeah. penciled out or inked out rather. So, cause there's partnerships can be a little, uh, a little haywire sometimes can get a little sideways, but I think having those things on the front end uh, is just another nice level of insurance, if you will. Oh, and it's not always perfect. I mean, there's a lot of give and take like in those partnerships. I mean, it wasn't perfect every day when we were going through this. So, I mean, she's needs pasture ground and I want to do food plots or her cows are getting into the apple orchard. I mean, there was definitely disputes throughout it, but at the same time, we both benefited from being able to uh, work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, there's definitely, I would assume, give and take, like you made mention of. And was she looking, was she looking in the market too? Or was it just like the same thing of, Hey, this is, this is probably the only time we'll ever get a chance to buy back the family farm. We need to make it happen. Yeah. Just like I said, she would, she was fresh out of college, I Mm -hmm. think at that point. So it really wasn't looking, it just, it just happened. She, she was thinking of expanding her, I guess, cow farm or dairy farm or wherever it was at the time. And uh, it just, with my parents still having the barn and stuff there, it just worked great being able to intertwine pasture and everything together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's really cool. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that you guys were able to buy back the family farm after, you know, it went to foreclosure. And then uh, it's kind of a blessing in disguise that you that your parents did buy the homestead and you were able to build the relationship with, with those families. Cause if you didn't you know, who knows what would have happened. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess we could have grown up living in a city or something like that. I'm not sure where we would have been. Um, but it definitely, it gave me a connect to the outdoors, even just being able to, like I said, we at those 10 acres, I grew up still bailing hay on those 10 acres um, it taught me a lot of life lessons that I, I still remember to the, this day. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's very cool. So tell us a little bit, I mean, would you, would you do another similar type of contract for deed or, you know, seller's agreement again, or, I mean, would you suggest that, or do you think it was just prone to the situation of that's what the sellers wanted and it worked out for you as well? Um, I mean, I would do it again just for the fact that that purchase money mortgage, uh, from my understanding, is you are basically creating an agreement with the owner of purchasing it. So I will get the deed upon purchasing it, but he then creates like a third party bank. So it's the money's technically not going to him. And this is where I believe that it's different than a land contract because. Mm-hmm if something went wrong on his side of it, say he went bankrupt, that deed's not in his name anymore. So even though we haven't completely paid it off at that point, like it's still like dealing with a bank. I I didn't really see a difference between that or dealing with the bank for my mortgage. Yeah. I just pulled it up here and I'm, I'm kind of scanning through it. And I'll just read the first paragraph so people have a 
an additional understanding. A purchase money mortgage is a mortgage issued to the buyer by the seller of a home as part of the purchase transaction, also known as a seller or owner financing. This is usually done in situations where the buyer cannot qualify for a mortgage through a traditional lending channels. A purchase money mortgage can be used in situations where the buyer is assuming the seller's mortgage and the difference between the balance of the assumed mortgage and the sale price of the property is made up of seller financing. And then there's, I mean, there's more to it, but that that should give kind of an idea for people. Um, and you did yeah. a really good job describing it as well. Yeah. I mean, the whole process, I mean, everything's laid out. We had, uh, just like anything else, you get an amortization schedule, you get all mm -hmm. that up front. So you know what your payments are. And we discussed it prior. Like we didn't want any penalties if we paid it off early mm -hmm. or anything like that. So I think if you're up front and try thinking the stuff through, you can cover a lot of the issues that can pop up later on. Yeah. I mean, and it sounds like you guys got a pretty, at 2012, you know, a 4% interest rate on vacant land was probably at market or maybe even below market. And then you had a 10 year payment schedule. So there's definitely benefits and there was benefits for them to provide that to you as well on their end. So definitely sound like a win-win scenario. Yes. And, so, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say it seemed to work out. They didn't have to wait for it to go to market and then sit there. The big issue with 2016 in New York was in 2015, uh, they banned fracking for the Marcellus Shale. Mm -hmm. So, that <clears throat> 2012 to 2015, the market took off because there was exploration of natural gas so a lot of people bought a lot of land in that time so like sight unseen investors people from downstate so once that ban hit in 2015 um the market kind of got flooded i would say that 16 17 time so putting something on the market at that point i think would have been tough mm -hmm. especially if you're trying to get top dollar for it yeah, that's interesting. That's it's crazy how every part of the country has like these booms, if you will, of just yeah. uh, of of spurts of a lot of a lot of money changing hands and and land going higher than what it ever had before, and then you know things change. So that's that's very interesting. So I get so you've owned it for four years. Tell us a little bit about the farm, if you don't mind. So it's eighty acres, and I'll break that down a little bit so people have an understanding. Yeah, so it's 80 acres. I would say probably 60 acres are uh, hardwood timbers, and then probably 10 acres of pasture slash like low line land, and then the rest of it was like crop hayfield type land. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, it had had a stream through it. It it really as one 80 acre parcel it it's a hard land to hunt but once you connect the 60 to it and keep expanding it really it opens up and becomes a lot better yeah does your brother hunt um a little bit but not much mm -hmm. are you does he let you hunt your 60 the 60 i'll be honest um i don't think i hunted my land at all last year. I have a couple other places. I I ran a, a thousand acre hunting club for 
like the last 10 years. And then like two years ago, I kind of got out of that. And now I'm kind of got a couple other pieces that I've been hunting just by myself. Mm -hmm. So it's mainly my dad. When my brother does go, he hunts it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. So I guess as people, if someone is listening to this, do you have a piece of advice of something you would tell someone gearing up and wanting to purchase a piece of ground? Uh, I think the biggest thing, which I don't know, people might say it's crazy, but like that 18 to 25 year old range, like what you do then and what you save or work can make a big difference at that 25 to 30 year range. I was just talking to, we have a couple, um, we call them summer help kids, but they're in college right now and they're not sure what they want to do with their lives and they're going through. And I, I tell them like, work through college, even, even if you don't want to, that, that's something I did. I, I set up my schedule. I worked, uh, I should say, I, I set up my, my college schedule. So I went to school normally two or three days a week from like eight in the morning till the night class, which ended at nine 30. Mm-hmm. And then those other days I worked and I saved money and I'm not saying that that's the only way you can do it, but it, it worked for me and, and save that money. And when you go to buy something, it, if you have a down payment, it makes stuff so much easier, whether you're buying your first house or you're buying your first chunk of land. Like that would be my advice. If, if there's young listeners on this mm-hmm. podcast is what you do in those years. I mean, I, I skip trips to Panama city, Florida, spring breaks and stuff like that. I mean, I still had fun. I don't want people to think that I just sat at home, but I bought my house at 22 and the first three years I didn't have TV. I saved that. And honestly it helped so much because I went to the library and I took out every white tail book, every habitat biology type book. And that's kind of what fueled my passion made it stronger for owning land and hunting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's great advice. I think it sounds like uh, you have a, a great work ethic there. So, what what was your some uh, what was your college job that you did? So I had a couple of them. Uh, in like the fall semester, I would work for a landscaper, and I would go around on those days and mow lawns until it, it got it got into the fall time, and I couldn't mow anymore because it was just getting dark too early. And then I worked at a feed store, like a outdoor I I don't like a tractor supply but it's a local one Mm -hmm. did that worked at farms uh I actually did what I'm doing now I was just talking about those summer help kids I did that throughout college as well during the summer months um yeah so I had a couple different random jobs I guess yeah all all good college jobs from the sound of it. There's, uh, yeah. there's some jobs that, uh, there's well, some of the jobs I worked in college weren't, weren't very fun, but they were, you know, something you had to do. So it's not, it, I know we were talking prior and you're, you're supposed to close on another farm or another property here before long. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I bought another part in 2019. I bought 25 acres, uh, and I closed on that. 
and yeah, I closed on that in 2019. And then, yeah, I have a, my third lot and I'll be closing probably the end of this month, hopefully. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what's that farm look like? So <clears throat> the 25 acre one or the one I'm buying now? Let's do 25 and then we'll go to the new one. Okay. Yeah. So the 25 acre one is still part of my family farm. It's just another part of the subdivision. Uh, a lot of, like I said, a lot of lots in New York are owned from people that don't live in the area. So this was the same way. Somebody bought it, owned it for, I think, two years. And then because they were from not around here, they just realized that they didn't have the time uh, to come up and use the property as much as they wanted to. So me kind of taking care of some of the other lots and helping people, they reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in we worked out a, a cash deal agreement on that one. And that property is a, it's, I think, two acres field. And then the rest is either creek bottom or then uh, mature timber. Wow. So that's that's interesting you say that because I see or and I hear when you have a, a reputation of, of buying some ground, sometimes like that deals come to you and and you're not the one going to deals. Have, have you seen yeah. that? Obviously you saw it the one time. Yeah. I'm, I tell everybody I'm always looking for uh, land if, if it's the right deal, especially up there because it is part of the existing Wildman farm. So I always want to buy as much back as I can, if, if I can afford it, I've, I've missed out on lots up there that I either I couldn't afford or they just sold too quickly and mm-hmm just sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Wow. So the, let's see. Okay. So you have the 60 or you, you and your sister have the 80, your brother has the 60. So that's 140 yeah. and then 140 plus 25 is 165. So you guys are chipping away at that original farm. Then you're getting, you're over yeah. half or close to it. Yeah. And so that, that 2019, the 25 acres, I, I'd met my wife between the 80 and the 25 and we got married. So I guess another thing, I guess you can kind of talk about how to save money is I had had my house since 2012. So I, I could live on basically my income. Mm -hmm. So when she moved in, I mean, obviously she had a vehicle and her phone payment and stuff like that, but a lot of what she made with her job, we could set aside set aside into a savings account and continue to save money. So that's what made that 25 acres possible was Mm -hmm. to save money like that. That's, that's a great point. So yeah, so you guys are the 165 out of the original 350. And then what about the one you're closing here this month? So that that's a a 45 acre lot that that one, I actually, I've wanted that one for a long time. And I'm hoping maybe someday I'll be able to build a house on it. So I reached out to them probably four or five times now over the last five years, just saying, Hey, if you're ever interested in selling, let me know. I would love to have a chance at it before you put it on the market. And they only said, yeah, we'll give you first, first choice. I'm like, all right, I appreciate it. And they kind of haven't said anything. We haven't seen them in a while. And I just reached back out to him and I said, Hey, 
well, I can't even say that my wife reached out to him this time because <laughs> I felt like I was bothering him. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to bother him anymore. And she's like, let me just ask one more time. And she reached out to him this time. And she's like, Hey, would you be interested in selling it now? And they decided to change their mind and sell it. So we started working on a, a price. Wow. Yeah. So your wife must be pretty persuasive. <laughs> yeah. She's a better timing. salesman than I am or buyer. <laughs> sure. That's cool. That's really cool. So is that 45 close to the other parcels or is that a different area? Uh, it's all part of the subdivision. So, so that's um, part of the original 352. Yep. Wow. And then, so yeah, me and my wife will own the 45 and the 25. Mm-hmm. And then I actually bought my sister out on the 80, not too long ago. So my wife will be on that as well. So my wife and I will own 80, the 25 and the 45. And then my brother has the the 60. Gotcha. Okay. So you're at 150 or we'll be here shortly. And yeah. then your brother's at 60. And then so 210 is back in the, the family and... Out of the original 350, you got, let's see how much you have far to go. How much further you have to go? Uh, 140 left. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> like I crazy. said, I, I've missed out on some of those. Some of them, I wasn't even ready or probably able to afford them. Mm-hmm. But like when they go, when they get listed or something, I'm like, man, I got to like try checking my budget and start crunching numbers and seeing what I can do. Because if it goes for sale, especially if you own a chunk in the neighboring property goes for sale, like that doesn't go for sale too many times. So like you Mm -hmm. either have to make that deal this time, or you might be waiting 35 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's and and that's kind of high pressure because you know, you're trying to piece this together or you you've been eyeballing parcels and you're right. Yeah. You might get one chance to buy it once in your lifetime, or you might not ever get a chance. So I, I get the vibe that you're, are you a naturally a, a saver? Um, I, I think so. My wife was not when I met her. Um, now she's worse than me. I, she doesn't take her wallet anywhere. So I have to, <laughs> seems like I'm always opening my wallet now to pay for everything, but that's yes, funny. Yes, I am. Interesting. Cool. So what's been, so you've, you've pieced together 150 acres, which is, very impressive. And then just not 150 acres, but 150 acres of a farm that was in your family for a long time. It went back to the bank and you're, you're slowly piecing it together. What's been a very good resource to help you along the way. It could be inspiration. It could be a book you read. It could be anything. I think maybe the biggest inspiration for me was knowing that like that was something that I could have had back in the day and it kind of like wore on me that it was like man I I got to do this for myself now instead of like getting it passed down so I mean ever since I was a kid like land maps stuff like that's always been something that I've kind of taken to and then yeah that's kind of what's driven me to want to own something I I always wanted to be able to and especially now with having a son, like, yeah, I bought the land for hunting, but I bought it more for if I want to take my son out on the four wheeler and we go ride around, like nobody can tell us. No, I I've done the leases before and I still kind of do like 
you don't know what the price is going to be from year to year. You don't know if you're even going to have it. Like I just wanted to have something that you could say was yours. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stability of owning your own dirt. And like you said, you can do what you want when you want you, you know what your payment is or you know what you're getting into and that's what it's going to be for a long time. And there's certainly peace to that. Yeah. And I definitely, I got to thank my wife for that because she is definitely on the same page and she values it as much as I do. So having a partner that I guess has the same goal in mind makes it, you don't have to try convincing them of it if, if that's the goal they want as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're more powerful when there's unity there for sure. And you're on the yep. same page and you're saving towards the same thing or, you know, trying to have similar goals and objectives for sure. Yeah. That makes, that makes complete sense. And that's clearly helped, helped a lot along the way. So yeah. what, what's been a common myth in the purchasing process that you've come across as you've, you know, pieced together all these farms? Um, I guess that there's always a way to finance something if you have to. I mean, you can, everybody says the 20%, you need 20% for this or that. Like there's ways around that. If, if you've saved money and if you come to somebody with, and they can see that you've made savings prior. And if you deal with local banks or maybe like a farm credit type thing, like there's options out there that the common myth of having to have X amount down isn't always true. So don't just like write off that you can't buy it because you don't have this much down. Or Mm -hmm. I guess the other myth too, is you don't have to make a ton of money to do this. I mean, I think I was trying to look back and I couldn't find my paperwork, but I think I bought my first, my house when I was, I didn't even make 30 grand when I Mm -hmm. bought my house. I was 22. um, But banks would lend you if if you had saved money, like if they see that you're somebody that can save it, I guess maybe makes them feel better, like less, less risk. Yeah. But you also, you had a lot of work history too, even as you, as a 22 year old, you had multiple years of work history, you saved some money and you were a good borrower for sure. But it's, it's, I'm glad you bring that up though. Cause I think if, if you were walking down the street and you're like, Oh, I own 150 acres and they're going to think, wow, you've always had a really strong income and you know, (laughs) that might not be the case, but it sounds like it's just been more about strategic planning and, and being patient and knowing when to move forward when the time's right and, and making it happen. Yeah. And that's, I mean, if you can make a budget, we're always looking at our budget for ways to save some, I mean, you start spreading a payment over 10 or 20 years. It's not as much as you think it is. Once you start looking at the numbers and crunching them, like you can, you can cut costs elsewhere. I'm not saying that you have to cut your coffee out every day, but like there's stuff that once you create a budget, you don't realize what you're spending money on that you can save it. Yeah. Well, give us, give us a budgeting tip that uh, people could, could implement. Um, check it all the time because you start budgeting and then you let it go. And you'll, if you don't come back to it, a lot of the times you're like, Oh yeah, well this increased or that increased. And budgeting just makes you, in my opinion, just makes you aware of where you're spending your money. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't really tell you anything that you don't already know. I mean, it just makes you more aware of where that money is going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 
that's key. And I think a lot of people, and this is something that Dave Ramsey always says, but once you do a budget, you feel like you got a raise because all of a sudden you realize, wow, I, you know, I make X amount of money and I'm, I'm spending stuff uh, or I'm spending money that I really don't need to. And then you itemize of what you really want to spend on those categories. And usually you have more left over than what you thought. Would, yeah. would you agree with that? Yeah. And going into like buy now or hold out and wait, like, obviously you don't want to go just buy the first piece of property uh, that you see. But if you find something that's meeting the majority of the criteria you're looking for, like if you wait too long, you're going to miss everything. And I feel like if you, even if you buy something I've heard on your other podcasts, like people buying and then trying to step up and buy a bigger parcel later, like by them buying that first piece, it's forcing them to save money and make that payment. Even if they are paying a low interest rate, they're, they're probably putting more away onto that property than they would have into a savings account. So just by getting into the market, I think you're ahead. That's a great point. Yeah. It's forced savings because you have to make that payment. It's chipping away at, uh, you know, the payment and you're getting more equity every single month. And then you already had to put a down payment on it. So that's, that's a great point. Yeah. It's basically forced saving and you get to enjoy it as well. Obviously you don't want to buy something that later down the road, when you sell it, you lose money. Like you still have to buy, buy smart. But if you buy smart to, and to a certain, I, I guess if you buy smart, but you don't wait forever, like I think it's not a bad option to buy and be okay. If you have to buy again, later on to find something better. Mm-hmm. If, if that makes sense, I, I don't know in my head, it does. No, I'm, I'm picking up what you're saying because you're, you're saying don't overpay. If you buy something at market value or, uh, you know, a little bit below, or you buy something that fits a lot of your needs for right now, if it's in your budget, you can always build into the next piece and you're, you're getting equity as you go and you're learning along the way. Cause I think you alluded to, you wish you knew like the expectations versus reality or vice versa of I'm sure you're much sharper when it comes to buying a piece of ground from your very first piece to what you are now even going into your third one. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. There's, there's stuff that, and especially after trying, I've tried buying other pieces. So it's not just been these three, it's been multiple. You call banks and you discuss stuff and they'll give you like insight on stuff that you weren't even aware of. And then even if you didn't complete that purchase, at least going into the next one, you're like, Hey, that that's an option now that I can look into. I mean, I never really would have thought about the home equity at first until like I knew somebody else that had used it for rental properties and stuff like that. So they're like, Hey, you could probably use that for a down payment. And I'm like, Oh, that's a good idea. That's something I never mm-hmm. thought of. So, yeah. And that's, that's the goal of this podcast too, to show that there's more than one way to buy, buy a farm. And, you know, we've had people that bought farms cash on here. And then the one that just went live this past week was someone that, uh, bought a smaller parcel and put 10% down. And then you have the way you bought property. So it, I think it's, there's a lot more options out there than what people realize. And it's just, you have to do the homework and learn the process and be sophisticated or as best you can, or get advice from someone before you move in forward to it. Um, so that's, that's very interesting. I had a question, but it just escaped me. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I guess one other option for buying that I always think would be a great option and I've never done it, but I kind of wish I did early on was, um, buy like rental properties first. So you're using your money to make money. And then that money that you make from the rental properties can be put towards purchasing your land. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's just another option. If people are young, young enough, like buy a couple, three, four unit places and go from there. That's a, that's a direction that I kind of wish instead of putting all this money to land, I could have put that money to rental units and then the money I made from them, I could have bought the land with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have that monthly cash flow from all the renters. I've thought that same thing and I've kicked around the same idea and it definitely makes sense as uh, as an approach to do that. And you're, you still own those rental properties that are always going to print cash. And uh, yeah. that's, that's a good point, but then, then you, the, whoever does that has to decide, do they want to be a landlord? Uh, and there's, yeah, exactly. There's, there's things that go into that. And that's, I'm, it might not be for everybody, but that's just another option mm-hmm. or another way around it. There's, there's many ways to do it, but yeah, that's, that's a very good point. So let me ask you this. You're 31, you have 150 acres, you have let's see. And the family has 210 of the original 350. Is it your goal to try to get the whole family farm back, you know, within the family or would you buy outside of that original farm? I, I don't know where my goal is. I I definitely won't be able to buy the whole farm. Uh, A couple of the other lots have camps or stuff like that on them. So I'll, I'll never be able to purchase the whole thing. And I'm not sure it has the sentimental value, but hunting wise like it it doesn't rank as good as like other areas like where i live there's Mm -hmm. there's better hunting potential so i'm i'm not sure where my goal is right now i mean honestly i get on whitetail properties or uh iowa land company and i'm always Mm -hmm. sending my wife hey let's just sell all our land here let's (laughs) Move to Iowa. Let's, let's buy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Which, I mean, it takes so much land in New York versus like a Midwest state to grow mature deer that like 40 in the Midwest to 40 in New York is just, it's not the same, at least where I am in New York. Like it, mm-hmm. it takes a lot more ground to, to grow a mature deer and 150 acres honestly is, is not enough. So mm-hmm. it, it's hard. Um, I, I don't know where my goal is going ahead. I personally, my parents live up there still. I, I would love to build a house up there somewhere just because um, then my my son can use the land every day. He can go outside, whether he wants to ride a four-wheeler or own a horse and ride a horse around or just go play army in the woods like mm-hmm. I, I would like to be up there just for that and to be he can be around his grandparents um but yeah I, I don't know where we are going ahead plans wise but as of right now I'm leaning towards maybe if building prices ever come back down maybe being able to afford to build mm-hmm. yeah how how expensive was your first your first house in 2012 if you don't mind me asking so I bought that 2012, I bought that for 
80 grand. Okay. And I basically redid the whole thing. Okay. So I, I put a new kitchen, new dining room, new living rooms, uh, new bathroom, mud room. I, I've done a lot of work to it since then. Sure. So basically a, a complete remodel. Yeah. What do you, what do you think that's worth today? I think, I mean, I think you could safely sell it for 150. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And then how far, Expanding especially with the, the COVID market right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's going to slow down eventually. I don't know when that is, but there seems to be some level of buyer fatigue for yeah. residential, but how far, how far is the family farm from where you live now? Is it a 20 minute drive, an hour drive? Yeah. 20, 25 oh, max. Perfect. Yeah. It's not far at all. Yeah. No killer. So no, just when I was talking about hunting, like, the the terrain and habitat like change immensely like there's a like a divide in new york like if if you've ever been or watched new york or follow anything like western new york is like completely different than eastern new york and like i live right on that divide basically it seems like so a lot where i live is night and day difference from where my land is so right where you live is drastically better than where the farm is yeah, it becomes a lot more agriculture, better soils. Like if you start pulling up like the soil maps and stuff, like a lot of the soils change and it's, it's just different. Mm -hmm. Property lots are bigger too. Where you're at or where your other farm's at? Where where I live. Okay. Lots seem to be a little bit bigger. Gotcha. Okay. That's so that's interesting because I always find in, you know, various places, wherever there's that hard transition of whatever fe terrain feature it is versus where ag starts to get good and things uh you know where where those two meet is where all the big deer are anywhere in the midwest yeah. you look at the river systems bluff systems or you know where you're at it sounds almost identical yeah interesting very cool well um anything else here i'm i'll just say i know i said it once or twice but i think it is so cool that you have been able to do what you've done. It is so cool to hear. And, you know, for a farm that went to foreclosure, went up for auction, and then, you know, to for to end up back into, you know, a good chunk of to end up back into with your family, that's got to be a very proud feeling. Yeah, I, I would say, I guess, I mean, putting on like another thing is don't dwell on the ones that you miss. Like there's, I've missed some and it, it sucks. Like when you miss a deal and especially like when you, you start getting your financials straightened out and you kind of know where you're going and then it, somebody puts in an offer and beats, beats you to it. Like mm -hmm. it happens like, and it is what it is. It just don't dwell on them because there's more out there. It's just, you just have to keep, keep an eye on the market and keep watching what's uh what's going to market. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's an advantage to It sounded like you were, you were studying the market for four years before you even pulled the trigger on this farm, your first farm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, especially with the internet now, like realtors can, I mean, I had them still forwarding me stuff, but like it's, it's right at your fingertips with an iPhone. Like you can get on MLS and search or land watch and you can like see what's going all the time. So mm -hmm. I definitely think if, if you, 
if you already kind of know what the market's doing, when you see something, it makes you makes it easier to jump on it. But it definitely helps too if you if you have your finances kind of straightened out and you know what you can afford, whether it's pre-approved or not pre-approved. Like if you know in advance, like that's why I missed out on a lot that I I wanted at one point was I, I hadn't really thought about buying another one. So I kind of was slacking. Mm-hmm. And then when it did go to market, by the time I had talked and tried figuring out lending, it was sold. Yeah. I, th- I definitely think it's important to keep an open dialogue with a couple banks, <laughs> maybe just yep. touch base with them and say, Hey, this is where I'm at. Are we still good? And obviously they don't have to pull your credit, but just say, Hey, everything else is about the same. This is about what I'm making here. Am I still good for this amount? And, you know, just having that conversation already taking place you're definitely a few business days ahead and sometimes that's all it takes yeah no i agree with that so did you i didn't ask or on the 45 acres did you go with a bank or is that uh a similar structured deal like the other ones so that one um was us saving money and us going against i'd paid basically down my home equity. So going against that home equity and savings is basically what that was. Oh, cool. So that basically for all intents and purposes, basically a cash deal minus the HELOC. Okay. Correct. Very cool. So I'm coming out of this with my only loans now are just against my house. So all my properties should be loan free. Wow. That's cool. That's, that's very powerful. Yeah. You would, you would think that which which honestly allows you to continue to keep saving up money. I would assume as well that, you know, you're yeah. not, you're not getting your, your income's not getting depleted from all the different payments. No. And that's, like I said, it, it, the best thing is my wife, her savings or her, her paycheck, I guess a lot of that is going into a savings account right now because we we had basically set ourselves up to live off of my income so her hers obviously um she has a couple bills here or there and now we're adding a kid into it so it, it's changed a little bit but mm-hmm. uh, yeah it helps that made a big difference in basically doubling our income to afford a, what we could yeah. One. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the advice that you gave of what you do between your 18 and 25 can set you up later on. I mean, you're in a living example of that. You, you bought a house, you put a bunch of work into it. You have a bunch of equity from that. You budgeted well. You're on the same team with your significant other and you guys are kicking butt. Yeah. And I, I just thought of this, this is kind of funny, but, um, I don't know if you ever remember Archery Talk website. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, it was like a forum. Yeah. Back when I was in college, I'd get on that and obviously discussing hunting stuff and archery stuff. But I posted a question on there and that, that's when I was like super land hungry. Like, how am I going to do this? But I posted a question on there. Is it possible for the average American making, I mean, I make an average salary for my area, if that mm-hmm. So I posted on there, is it doable? And honestly, probably half the post said no way, but there were some people out there that said it's doable. And 
I believed him. So I, it is possible. Even I guess that just shows that since that age, like this is something. If it's if if it's a goal of yours, you can you can accomplish it. Yeah, there's definitely this stigma that you have to make a ton of money or has to be given to you, or you have to have some incredible lucky break to do it. But that could not be more wrong. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah. way more accessible. You just have to prioritize it, do your homework. And if it's a goal that you really want to make happen, you can do it. And I think that's a great point. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's what you, what you're living for. I, I say I go out of state hunting. I've been to Ohio and a couple times, but I, like last year I drove to Ohio to deer hunt. I slept out of the backseat of my truck. Like, yeah, I probably could have spent on hotels or an outfitter, but I went public land, hunted, slept in the backseat of my truck. I did the same thing, turkey hunt in West Virginia. So drove down there this year, slept in the backseat of my truck, cooked food on the tailgate. So all you're paying for is a tag and mm -hmm. gas. Like, like you can still have experiences, but they might just be different than what they were if you were doing stuff differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're still turkey hunting. At the end of the day, you're still deer hunting <laughs> and uh, yeah. you're just doing it a lot more cost effective. Yeah. So it, it is possible, but yeah, it's just trying to pinch the pennies, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any other budgeting tips? Do you guys use a budgeting app or do you have a spreadsheet or you just use an old pen and uh, pencil and paper or what? Just, uh, I mean, Excel, I mean, mm -hmm. you can put formulas in there. I, even they probably have templates on there nowadays with all the technology, but yeah, we just plug our stuff into Excel and compute it and we break it down whether you're paid like weekly, bi-weekly, monthly bills, yearly bills, um, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Nothing too extreme. Like I said, you already know where your money's going. This just makes you aware of the, and is that really that, internet tv package worth it like when you start looking at it and you start crunching the numbers then you get to decide i guess mm -hmm. yeah and, and it makes those sacrifices so much easier when you know why you're doing it as well yeah exactly so that with the 150 acres that you own how much income do you get off that a year or or i guess is there income on it or is it mainly none because it's timber in a mixed pasture uh so I'm hoping like my sister, obviously, like I said, buying her out, did that. And it was originally pasture and hay ground, which the hay was going to feed the um, cows. So now I'm hoping to like, my dad has hay equipment. So I want to work out a deal with him to bale the hay and we need to sell it as kind of the plan right now. Uh, we haven't fully got that figured out yet mm -hmm. but hopefully we can continue to bale hay and just sell hay off of it and then that will help keep it in ag we can put put it into like the ag exemption which reduces your taxes and stuff like that mm -hmm. is your is your family outlaws from back in the day because your your name's jesse james and then wild man <laughs> that's your surname uh, is there any history behind your guys's family name um, I, not, if not that I know of, we were just going through the family tree stuff the other day 
and uh because i don't know a lot about that side of the family because mm-hmm. my grandfather passed away really young and his dad so and there's kind of some holes in it so we don't know a lot about it but as far as i can tell no i mean we were in new york back in the 1800s i mean, I, we first had registered holsteins in like the 1840s so i don't really think we were any way related to any of the outlaws out west sure gotcha you got the name for it though (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's cool well i uh i certainly appreciate you taking the time and walking through the story it's like i said it's very inspiring it's very cool you should feel very proud um anything else for any any departing tips for anyone out there no like i said i just got a thank my wife for putting up with me with this um she understands my obsession with land uh so i definitely gotta thank her i don't know if she'll listen to this or not but (laughs) she complains because my nightly routine is get on onyx and just i'm just a land junkie yeah i i I scour the whole united states i got pins from here to everywhere (laughs) that's just what i do i i love land i love looking at maps and placing pins like this is a great spot or this that i don't know so i gotta put a plug in for her and say thank you for putting up with me for that but yeah that's about it cool you can share your instagram handle if you would like uh, so people can track you down if you want if not that's okay too uh i actually i don't even know it's something wild wildman it might be jay wildman Uh, i don't wildman261 yep i just pulled it right now Yep, Wildman261. So um, if you want to track down Jesse, uh, that's how you do and, it. And go ahead. And I'm not a financial advisor by any means. <laughs> but I guess if anybody has questions that maybe pertain to this situation, I'd just reach out and I'd give you the advice I have. I'm not saying it's the right advice, but yeah, be advice. Well, that's that's very generous of you, and I think you have uh, a proven track record there. So it's uh, like I said, it's really cool, and uh, it's impressive to see you guys buy back basically a, a really big chunk of the family farm. Yeah. So awesome. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day. We're gonna wrap it up, and thanks again. All right, so there you have it. Just want to say thanks to Jesse once again. And if you guys have an interesting story yourself, feel free to send an email or a message. We'd love to get you on here and tell it to everyone else because I think one thing that has been consistent with the feedback so far is people really enjoy to see how other people got into land and to see that there's many ways to finance it, structure it, and kind of get your foot in the door and get the ball rolling. So that's been really cool. And until next week, see you guys.